This is the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're so glad you're listening with us today. Even in a year where everything already seems sideways, the last few weeks in our country have been unbelievable. The death of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the subsequent outbreak of civil unrest has shocked, appalled, and outraged so many across our country. This morning, Pastor Nicole will be sharing a special message asking the question, what do we do in the face of injustice and anger? We're going to look at what Jesus said and get some direction from the Word of God. Here's Pastor Nicole. Thank you for watching today. I am so glad that you tuned in and that you're here. As I was preparing my message this week, uh, the Holy Spirit reminded me that it has very little to do with what the words I'm going to say today. It's very little to do what I've prepared, and it has so much more to do with the receptivity of our hearts to the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. I want to I want to urge you to lean into God's Word, to lean into this message, and to really ask uh, Jesus what He wants to tell you this morning. Uh, Don't just let the words hit your ears, but ask the Holy Spirit to do something in your heart. uh, Because what we really need each week, each day, every moment is an encounter with the God of the universe. So with that said in mind, I want you to imagine for a moment with me a boat adrift at sea. And in the boat is a man uh, who is a lawyer. Uh, Another person in the boat is a woman who is a doctor. Uh, Then there's a lazy teenager in the boat, a stay-at-home mom, and a garbage man. And these five people are in this boat, and, and the boat, all of a sudden they realize, will not make it back to shore with all five people on board. In fact, it's beginning to sink. And one person must be thrown overboard to save the others. And so these five people are panicking, and they begin to debate who it is that will get the boot, who it is that will have to go overboard, and they frantically start building their case for their own worth. Uh, And the lawyers start saying, well, I'm intelligent, and without me, you'll never be able to find your way back to land. And then the doctor, she says, well, my skills and my abilities, you need me on this boat in case someone gets sick and the journey back. And the teenager reminds them how much life that that he has left to live and how many dreams he has left to fulfill. And each of them, they just lay out their own value, uh, primarily finding their value by comparing themselves to each other. And in many ways, I think that this lifeboat analogy is a metaphor for this crazy mixed up world that we live in. Uh, Not only do we find ourselves constantly on some level proving our own value, we walk in this mindset where we put value on other people. Whether we realize it or not, we are almost always deciding who is better and who is worse and, and who is worth our time and who isn't, and often without even realizing it. About six months ago, uh, when the stores were actually open, uh, it, not during this pandemic, I was in line at Christmas time shopping at Target, and you know how crazy it can get in there. And there were probably 18 people in front of me in line with their toys and their vacuums and their electronics. And I accidentally cut this woman in line uh, because the line was turning, and I thought it was at the end. And so I, I accidentally got in line in front of her, and she took her cart. And she rammed it into mine as hard as she could and gave me the, the worst, most horrible look ever and said, I was next in like this most Darth Vader kind of voice I've ever heard. Now, 
I'm typically pretty patient. I'm typically a pretty gentle person. But that day, I must have woke up on the wrong side of the bed or something because I glared right back at her, probably in about the same amount of intensity. I'm embarrassed to say it. I squinted my eyes. I furrowed my brow. Um, and, and I think I said something like, bah humbug, <laughs> because I was so frustrated and, and bothered that she would be so mad at this simple mistake that I made. And then it was very, very awkward because I had to stand beside her for 10 minutes while we checked out uh, behind her in line. But anyway, on the way to my car that day, I remember I was thinking, um, why did I get so upset? Uh, like, who cares? Why, why did I get so upset at that moment? I, I, it literally would have added eight more minutes to my already four-hour Target shopping experience. And the Lord really brought to mind this lifeboat theory, this, this thing that I just shared with you, that, that this, this idea that is deep within each of us is that if somebody says I'm not important, if, if somebody cuts in front of me in line or, or gives me a, a nasty look even though I didn't deserve it or cuts me off in traffic, somehow that these actions make me feel less important. And it's as if these actions that make me feel less important uh, in this proverbial pecking order of existence makes me feel so upset that someone would decide that they were more important than me. Eight more minutes in Target didn't matter to me in the scheme of things. It probably didn't even matter to that woman. But she acted as if because she was in line first, somehow her shopping was superior and my time didn't matter. And that's what bothered me. That's what made me angry. That's what made me hurt. You see, humanity is, is wired. We're created that we get all our worth from our creator. God wired us to have relationship with him. God wired us so that he told us who we are and he told us how important we are. That is the entire design. In fact, God loving us gives us value. Just by God loving us gives us value. Uh, we see in Matthew 10, 29 through 31, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. First uh, Peter 2.9 also tells us, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And there's many, many more verses just like that. And God is showing us that we have value just because he loves us. However, so much of the time, we don't let God be the only voice giving us value. So much of the time, we seek some sort of redemption from our jury of peers. We, as in humanity, start deciding who is important and who is less important, and, and why did they get to get more privileges than I do, or they get to, to have more opportunities than I do. And so we often have these moments where we let other people uh, give us value when God says we are created to only get value from him. These last weeks in our country um, have been so heartbreaking and so egregious. Uh, we watched as several police officers did an unspeakable act in Minnesota, uh, pinning a black man to the ground until he couldn't breathe anymore. And then he died. And this man's name was George Floyd. And then, uh, if that wasn't terrible enough, we watched a nation react, uh, violence, anger, 
The result of deep pain and wounds broke out in cities all across our nation. Even right here in Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, local businesses were vandalized. People were injured uh, in response to this horrific decision that the police officers made in Minnesota. And it just got me thinking, it got me praying, and, and it got me thinking about this idea of this lifeboat. Have, have you ever thought about why racism exists? Like, why does it happen? Where does it come from? Let's say there are, there are 10 people in a lifeboat, and, and three of them have blue eyes. Uh, adhering to a philosophy that people with blue eyes are inferior make the people with brown eyes feel more important. They make the people with brown eyes feel like they have a one-up on those people. So by devaluing someone, you always are trying to add more value to yourself. And when we deem people inferior or less than important, we are automatically thinking we're ahead of those in the lifeboat. And, and we could start believing that we're somehow more important than them. But this is false. This is wrong thinking. Uh, people that do this, generations that do this, leaders that do this, this is wrong thinking. It is not the way the kingdom of God works. In fact, the kingdom of God works quite literally the opposite way. Racism and socioeconomic prejudice are the first thing that starts happening in a culture that is absent of God, in a culture that is not uh, working in the way that God would work. And it has. We've seen over the history of the world, uh, examples include Sudan, the Congo, in Germany, and, and even right here in America, racism it's, is wrong. It's a sin. It does not reflect the heart of God in any way. And I think it's no coincidence that Jesus uh, talks endlessly about love. Not just love we can, uh, not, just, not just love in itself, but love we can't earn. Free love, unconditional love. Um, Jesus would indicate that the greatest thing you and I can do is to display that we know him, we know he loves us, and therefore we love each other, we love our neighbors as ourselves, and we even love our enemies. I want to read to you in 1 John 4, 15 through 21 that talks about this. It says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And so instead of trying to assign value to people and, and making a huge mess of humanity, what we really need to understand, what we really need to sink into our hearts is God's love. And when we understand the depth of God's love and the realness of his love, we, we don't worry so much about what other people think about us. We don't worry so much about our thinning hair or, or when other drivers pull out in front of us or whether people are rich or poor or good looking or important. We need to be told who we are by the only being who has the authority to know. And that's God, the creator, the creator himself. 
You know, Jesus came to earth and, and he looked at that, that lifeboat idea and he said, you know, this is worthless. Like, this is a myth. Stop living like this. Stop trying to figure out who is the most important. Because if you read the scripture, Jesus is always surrounded by the poor. He's always surrounded by the marginalized. And why? Why is that happening? Because he was nice? Well, yes, Jesus was nice. But, but also because he turned the value system of the world and the culture upside down. He said, look, this isn't how it works. He disrupted the system by which people were getting false redemption. And he taught them that they had value solely because God loved them. That everyone has value solely because God loves them. Paul said in Galatians 3.8, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And according to Genesis, it says that all people equally bear the image and likeness of God. Male and female, young and rich, uh, old and poor, first world and third world, born and unborn, healthy and sick. It's why as Christ followers, we have, we have to have a consistent worldview that, all, that we believe that all people are important, that all people are valuable. That's why we stand uh, so clearly against the killing of the unborn. That's why we don't dishonor the elderly. That's why we reject racism. We reject classism and sexism and ageism because all people equally bear the image and the likeness of God. And this, this idea has profound implications for not only how we see God, but how we see ourselves, how we see others, and how we actually act out our lives. You know, some people are richer. Some people are smarter. Some people are tougher. Uh, some people are more competent, capable, and able. Uh, some people even root for the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> Just kidding. But all people are made in the image and the likeness of God and all have value and all have worth. And Isaiah 53 Verses two through three, uh, it is a prophetic voice describing Jesus. And I wanted to read to you because it, it's so important to this concept. It says, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. And so these verses in Isaiah is Isaiah. It's a prophetic voice speaking about Jesus. And basically it's saying uh, Jesus was average looking at best. Okay, he, God could have made him any way he wanted. God could have made him the most beautiful person in the world. But God, I believe, wanted to communicate something very specific to us, very clearly to us, that Jesus didn't have to be handsome to have value. That the world did not have to think that Jesus was handsome to have value. Jesus was plain. Jesus was average. People didn't believe he was God because they didn't expect him to look like that. They expected him to be rich and good looking and flashy and respectable. Uh, they wanted that so that their religious system would look good. They wanted someone who could redeem them to their jury of peers. They didn't want a God who would come down and, and, and be with the poor and the sick. And, and they didn't want a God who would come and pay attention to the prostitute and, and to a tax collector hiding in a tree. And so the people, the Pharisees rejected him. 
because that's not what they expected. That's not what they wanted. But when Jesus came to earth, he came with a primary message. He came saying, listen, the kingdom of God is near and he is the king of that kingdom. In fact, he's the king of all kingdoms. And he told us, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is saying, because I love you, you have value. Because I love you, you have value. Because I love all people, they have value. And he spent so much of his life in ministry on earth uh, helping people understand that God's kingdom was different than the one we're used to. He, he tried to help them understand what God's kingdom was like and that the values of God's kingdom are different than the values of the world. They're different than the values of governments or the values of companies. God's kingdom works differently. In fact, Jesus avoids most things people pursue and pursues most things people avoid. And in so many ways, the kingdom of God is this upside down kingdom in comparison to the world we live in. It is a paradox. Jesus was such a unique king. Uh, pharaohs and monarchs and emperors all throughout history, they ruled with ruthless power. They, they demanded respect from people. They, they, wanted, uh, they went to great lengths to just retain this power and control. They, would, they flexed their power, mostly, I think, so they could earn their spot in the lifeboat. If they became the most important, if they became the richest, if they became uh, the person that, that, that had the most power, then somehow they were more important. But you know what Jesus came, and you know what he said, is there's no kingdom without a cross. Jesus said there's no kingdom without a cross. And Jesus' idea of being our king was a humiliating, excruciating public death that he didn't deserve. Jesus' idea of being our king was to love us so much that he gave up his life. And there's no kingdom without a cross. In Matthew 5, uh, Jesus is preaching to a hill full of people. We talked about this just a few weeks ago. And he's, he's giving them guidelines on how to live a blessed life. He's giving them guidelines on, on how to um, live a life that, that is blessed. And, and basically, he is um, taking almost all the things they believe and turning them upside down and saying, well, in the kingdom of God, this is so different. And I think kind of the summary of, of what he's preaching is, listen, the, the king of the kingdom of God, we need to put the kingdom of God first. We need to put the king first. We need to get to know the king. And once we get to know Jesus, once we get to know the king of the kingdom, we'll want the things he wants. We'll love the people he loves. We'll, we'll see the people the way he sees them. And, and we'll be blessed. We'll be coming more and more like Jesus. We'll live a life of, a, of abundantly blessed. We will store up treasures in heaven. And ultimately, we will become children of God. And so uh, for the last part of my message this morning, I want to just focus in on just one verse that I think is so relevant to, to the time and season we're in right now as a country, as a city, as a people. One verse of this sermon uh, on the mount, and that's Matthew 5, 9. And it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. As we mentioned earlier in this message, and even as we pray about all week long, 
in this moment in history, in, in, in 2020, there are plenty of disagreements. Uh, there's plenty of hate. There's plenty of disharmony uh, that's apparent. There's fighting among countries. There's fighting among people groups between conservatives and liberals and political parties. And there's fighting among cultures and races. And we are in desperate need for peace. We are in desperate need for peacemakers. And, and this desire we have for justice, this desire we've seen all across our nation for justice when we are wronged or someone we love is wronged, that is legitimate. In fact, as a believer in Jesus, I want to encourage you, we cannot stand passively by and watch injustice happen without it bothering us. If that's, that happens to us, then something's wrong. Uh, we don't understand the deep, deep love of God for us and for others. God desires justice and peace much more than, than we can ever desire it. And so, so Jesus wants that same justice and peace that we do in an even more in-depth way. But I think the easy way to respond to injustice is to fight back. An easy way to respond to injustice is to fight back. And this is where things can go sideways. And, and we've watched it happen in our nation. When we attempt to right wrongs without God's help, we go from being part of the solution to being part of the problem. It takes no goodness. It takes no godliness to start swinging back at those who have hurt us. This just creates more holes in God's good world. It, it, it takes no self-restraint. It takes no godliness to do that. H have you ever walked away from a conversation uh, that you're having with someone after the fact and, and you think of like the perfect comeback? Like you, you, that perfect phrase that would have insulted that other person and left them totally defenseless. And you almost wish you could rewind and like go back to that moment so you could say that, that punchline. It's interesting because even when we tell uh, stories to one another um, or, or as we're replaying events, we, we're so proud of those moments that we like can assassinate someone with our words and put them in their place. And I actually really believe that this verse in Matthew 5 is God reminding us that swinging back is not being like him. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. And when I read that, I was so convicted in my own heart about how sometimes I'm so proud when I can come up with the most witty thing to fight back at someone. And God is saying, no, that's actually not what I'm asking you to do. That's actually not what I'm asking you to do. Responding to injustice by just fighting back. That's not goodness. That's not godliness. We see it in the scripture. Uh, Jesus is in the garden. He's about to be crucified in Matthew 26. I want to just read these verses to you. Uh, Matthew 26, 50 through 52. It says, Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of his companions reached out for his sword, drew it out, struck the servant of the high priest, and cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? So in this moment, Jesus categorically teaches that wrath is not the way of God anymore. 
That, that this is something that's inside of us. It's our, it's our bend. It's our tendency. But Peter, who is the guy in the story, had this moment of opportunity to establish justice through aggression. And God himself restrains Peter's hand. Jesus knew that evil needs to be overcome, but evil will be overcome in a different way. If you remember in the scripture on Friday morning after Jesus' arrest, he stands trial with Pontius Pilate. And not wanting any part of the blame, Pilate uh, leaves Jesus' fate to the crowd that was gathered. And, and the crowd says, crucify him. And so they flog Jesus. They, they twist a crown of thorns. They put it on his head. Uh, they put him in a purple robe and they mock him uh, ceaselessly and they slap him in the face and and honestly, so much injustice is happening. Jesus had done nothing wrong. Nothing. He didn't deserve this. Yet they just continued to beat on him. The soldiers marched Jesus through Jerusalem to a hill outside the city. They nailed him to a cross for a crime that he did not commit. And on that cross, they lifted him for all the country to see above the holy city, and Jesus Christ died naked and friendless with nothing and no one. Could God have rescued him from that cross? Could God have saved him from that injustice? Could God have fought back? Yes. And with 12 legions of angels, God had all the power in the world at his fingertips. He could have done anything. But Jesus, he did not use that enormous amount of power he possessed to destroy the wicked. He did not eliminate those who hurt him or struck him. He, 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 did, not, he did not make uh, them die or their families die. Instead, Jesus makes this huge statement for us to see. He attacks the sin at work among his killers by suffering for them. He opens a way. He creates a way that peace can bridge between humanity and God. And in order for us to reflect God, in order for us to be like God, we must reject wrath. There's no other way. Rejecting wrath is not passively sitting by and ignoring justice. That, that's not what's happening here. But he's saying you need to be peacemaking. And peacemaking is proactive. In fact, peacemaking is sometimes even aggressive at times. But it's aggressively making peace. It's doing all you can with all you have to make your life and the life of others align with the kingdom of God. I think as I reflect on the injustices that Jesus experienced and the way that, that he showed us how he responded, so often we just kind of have these two possible responses to injustice or to being confronted. First, we think, well, we either need to be submissive and passive and just completely roll over and just take the hits. Let everyone walk all over us, be door, doormats, let nothing bother us. And that's not what Jesus is saying. He is not saying to, to just totally uh, roll over. But I think the other extreme is we say, okay, then we're going to react aggressively. We're going to go after people. We're going to go after the group that hurt us. We're going to let them know how we feel. We're going to teach them a lesson. We're going to, if they hit us, we're going to punch them back even harder. We're going to figure out a way. And Jesus was saying, listen, it's neither. 
Jesus wasn't a pacifist. He didn't lie down and let others run over him. But also, Jesus did not fight back with the same strategy that his enemy fought with. He didn't fight back in the same way. So this is my word for us today. This is my encouragement for us today. God will show us how to respond to injustice. This has been a very difficult time in our country, a very difficult time in our city, in our nation. Right here, it's hit very close to home. And and if I'm being honest, it won't be the last time. There'll be other things, maybe not just like this, but there'll be other things in our lifetime that will feel unfair. There will be other things that come our way, maybe personally, uh, maybe publicly like like this one. And Jesus is saying, look, don't, don't not do anything. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is God will tell you how to respond and it will never be evil for evil. It will never be evil for evil. We know that for sure. And it may look and feel completely different than what our instincts know how to react. Peacemaking is proactive. And I just, I have to believe that Jesus knew that evil should be overcome. It should be Totally, uh, we, we, should, we should go up to it. We should definitely challenge it. But it will not be overcome in passivity and will not be overcome in aggression. There's a different way. There's a third way. And, and I just believe it's a brilliant third way. And that way is we need to hand it over to God because the battle is not ours. And instead of trying to figure out how to fix all this on our own, We need to ask God what it is he wants us to do. What is the way that he wants us to be a peacemaker? And Jesus shows us that's how he fights his battles. He lets God have the final word. And in God's beautifully flipped over upside down kingdom, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. When Jesus was entering Jerusalem down from the Mount of Olives and and he knew that in a few short days he would experience all of these things we talked about. He was going to be in the garden and he was going to be uh, betrayed and crucified and, and nailed to a cross. He knew that was going to happen. And as he was coming down the Mount of Olives, uh, starting the journey into this most terrible, horrific experience he was about to have, the theologians believe he quoted this psalm. And this is how I want to end today. And I want you to imagine this is... Jesus quoting this psalm as he is about to experience the worst injustice of his life. And Psalm 118. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look and triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. You are my God, and I will praise you. 
You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Now, John, who wrote a gospel, he called himself uh, the one that Jesus loved. And I believe that with these words, um, he displayed that he understood the worth of his humanity. He realized that Jesus loving him gave him all the worth that he needed. And he escaped that trap of that lifeboat thinking. He escaped that trap of trying to feel important and trying to figure out who else is important. And I believe that so can we. When we understand the depth of God's love, we can escape the trap of thinking in that way. Pray with me this morning. God, I thank you for the value that you give us. I thank you, Lord, that just by loving us, we have this incredible worth. God, that we, can, we don't have to accomplish anything. We don't have to be anything. All we have to do is be loved by you, which we already are, and that gives us so much value. And I thank you that you love every soul, that you love every person, and that you give value to their life, and they, they have the image and the likeness of God. And I pray that we can start living that way and thinking that way. God, I pray we can be peacemakers not sit back and be passive and not engage in the fight, but that we can make the peace. We can be proactive making peace. But God, that we can do it not in the way that the, that the violence and the war has started, not in the way that the conflict has started, but in this new way, in this other way. God, maybe in a supernatural way that we can't always understand. God, would you lead us? And Father, maybe the most important this morning, I pray you would forgive us. Forgive us as a people for deeming people important or, or, or deeming people with different values. Help us see things from, from your perspective. Forgive us for not knowing sometimes uh, how to help and what to do and for doing nothing, God. We pray that we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, God, and we want to be peacemakers. We want to be peacemakers that we would bring your kingdom here to earth. God, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are. Heal our nation. And Lord, it's in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. You can find all our series videos and podcasts at eriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thank you again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.